Back when I was in the seminary, it was the end of the semester, about this time of year. We were in finals week before Christmas break. We walked into our preaching class, and we saw on the board the note, there will be a final. We kind of all panicked at that moment. How could you have a final in a preaching class? After all, we'd all delivered our sermons, which is what you do in a preaching class, to each other, had the evaluations, and had moved on. And when the professor walked in, he handed out one of what we used to call a blue book, way too thick of an amount of paper in which we had to write. He said, in the next three hours, I want you to take the Bible, and here is your final assignment. I want you to think that this is the last sermon that you will ever preach on earth, your last chance at reaching your people. And I want you to tell me what text you would use, what you would preach, how you would develop that. Go ahead and begin. You know, those were words to ponder as you continue in your ministry. I think most of the time when you stand up to preach, what if this was the last sermon to ever preach before your people? What if I got hit by a car tonight? What if something happened? What are the words that I would have left them with? You know, it's interesting to think about that, especially because this is the end of something today, the end of what we call the church here. Not something handed down in Scripture, just something organized in order to better help us through the year go through different passages of Scripture. But it's known as Christ the King Sunday. Next week we begin the new church year. We start Advent as we prepare and move on to the season of Christmas, that season of preparation for the first coming of our Lord and Savior. But today, we focus on Jesus Christ, on his kingdom and his rule, and the words that he has spoken to us. And it's interesting as we look at those two passages of Scripture, we're presented with two different profiles of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have the picture from Revelation of the King Eternal Almighty on his throne, where the angels adore him and worship him and the saints bow down and praise him. And he is coming again in glory to judge the world and to take us home to be with him. And the other passage in the gospel is of a king who has given up all of his rights, who has become like you and me in human form, who stands before the ruler of this world at that time, the power that gripped everything, Rome, and begins to speak to him of what his kingdom truly is. I want to hear those words again and talk about them for a moment, that interchange between Pilate and Jesus. It goes like this, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You see, it's Pilate's job to address the charges that have been leveled against Jesus. The charges that we know that the Jewish leaders have placed before him in order that they might be able to obtain the death sentence for Jesus. And so Pilate wants to know, is Jesus a threat to Rome? And Jesus then responds, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? You see, Jesus wants to know, Pilate, is this what you think of me? Or is it just simply the restating of the charges? 
The question that Jesus asks every man, what do you think of me? And so Pilate responds and he says, am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And we need to understand what Pilate is saying when he says, am I a Jew? He's thinking, I am part of the Roman Empire. I am part of the world that rules all things. I'm not looking for a Messiah. I'm not looking for a Redeemer. I'm not looking for a King. I already have all that power. I'm not one of your followers, Jesus. Are you a threat to Rome or not? And so Jesus replies, But now my kingdom is from another place. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. You see, Pilate, I am no threat to Rome. My kingdom isn't taken by force. It isn't a kingdom that conquers as you think. It's a kingdom that conquers the heart in different ways. But if it were, understand I had the power and the glory in order to do it. But now I stand before you. And then Pilate responds, you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, Jesus' final words to Pilate in that moment was, I have not taken a kingdom, Pilate. I was born into this kingdom. It is my right. It is mine by birth. It is the kingdom that is mine from eternity. And my kingdom is from another place, and my kingdom is about truth. And all who hear me and listen to the truth. And we know Pilate's response then as a cynical world leader to Jesus' words, all who hear me know the truth, was what is truth? I want us to think about these words today and those two situations. And there are four words I want you to think about as we go along. The four words are this. They have to do with a throne. The word abdication and the word coronation. And then with a battle, the word conquer and the word win. You know, thrones are things that are occupied by rulers. And only those rulers are removed by two things, either by willingly abdicating that throne or by death and having that throne taken over by someone. I say that because we need to think about these things in terms of our lives as followers of the kings, as part of the kingdom that Jesus is the king of kings for. That we have been made children of that kingdom, not by force and not by being conquered, but by grace and by the washing of holy baptism in all of our lives. Not just us in the church, in the entire world. There is a throne, as it were, in our lives that someone sits upon. And before our, the grace and the Holy Spirit move in our lives, the person that sits on the throne and occupies it is us. That is the sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world. The total self-absorption, the total self-focus on me and everything that I want and on nothing else. That I will be God, that I will be equal to Him, that no one else will tell me what to do. We know through baptism 
that that self is killed, that old Adam is put down, and Jesus Christ then takes that throne and is coronated, becomes the king and lord of our life. That is us inside the church. But we need to remember that outside the church, outside this kingdom of grace that Jesus has established, those in the world are still ruled by that throne in which self occupies. I say that because it's important for us to remember that. If you are not in the kingdom of grace, baptized and the old self killed, you are not part of the kingdom of Jesus. Pilate says those words, am I a Jew, as I said, not looking for a king, a Messiah. I'm not part of your kingdom, Jesus. You see, the world is never going to recognize Jesus as king. It is never going to hear the truth without faith being created. That's important for us to remember in our witness to the world. And then I want to talk about battles. You know, Ephesians says that we are to put on the full armor of God in our battles so that we can stand against the enemy. It doesn't say that we are supposed to conquer the enemy. We are supposed to stand against the spiritual powers that reign against us that would try to take Christ from our lives and would try to steal the kingdom away. We are not called to conquer the world for Jesus. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. But we are called to win hearts for Jesus by his love and by his grace and through the gospel. I say all this because as you watch world events, as you watch the things that happen, so often I am confused by the actions of people that call themselves Christians. How we go on the attack against the world. How we can even rage against something as simple as a company that has a coffee cup and we come out and say how horrible that is. And my thought on this is how dare we look at the world and expect the world to recognize who Jesus is. That's our job. You see, it was never the point that the world will bow the knee to Jesus. They can't. They don't honor him. They don't understand him. They don't know his kingdom or his grace or his rule in their lives. We do. We are his church, and we are the ones who are called. You know, the whole reason that we took over a date for Christmas, a pagan date, was so that we could be witnesses of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, so that we could bear witness to the truth. It's wrong for us to ever look at the world and expect them to do the same back. They cannot do it because Christ does not sit on the throne of their lives and reign in his glory, his love, and his grace. In this place, we call the Bible the word of God inspired and inerrant without any difficulty. In this place, we call Jesus our king. We acknowledge his reign. We seek his grace and his forgiveness and we know that he rules all things and will come again in glory. We know what sin is because the Bible tells us what sin is and we understand the payment for that sin, the cross of Jesus. But we understand all these things because of the gift of faith that we have been given through that gospel 
that sweet gospel that has won our lives for Christ by his sacrifice on the cross. You see, the world cannot understand sin. So if we say to the world that's a sin, it's like saying to Pilate something and he won't understand what it's all about. It makes no sense to him. We don't even acknowledge sin in the world. We know what sin is. And if we say this is against God's truth and if we say Jesus is Lord, all those words are foreign to our world. They are not understood, so we look strange to him. We look as strange as a king who stands in a purple robe with a crown of thorns before the world empire. You see, none of it makes sense to anyone in the world who is not a subject of the king of kings and the lord of lords. The world cannot understand And what we are not called to do is demand of the world what they should do because that's conquering. And as I said, we are not called to conquer the world. We are called to win the world by the grace of Jesus Christ, by his truth. And how do we do that? By our lives and our witness. By being the church, by being the people who are called by that blood, who are redeemed, who know what it is to be sinners and to be broken, who know in the world that just as Jesus associated with the people who were not religious, who were outside of that realm of grace and love, that we too are called to associate with them, to be someone who cares and who reaches into their lives. You see, we will never win a heart by storming their lives with what we think and what we know to be truth because of Jesus. They won't understand it. They'll reject it. But we will win hearts and lives with the power of Jesus' love and the grace that he has given. The world can recognize love. The world can see sacrifice. The world can understand what charity and forgiveness means and can wonder at it and ask. And it's about the relationship that we build with the people that we know waiting for that moment in time when the Holy Spirit has worked in their heart by our witness that they would want to hear about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one whose desire is to sit on the throne of their hearts and rule them in love and justice. You know that passage in Revelation that says, every eye will see Jesus, all the peoples of the earth, will see and mourn and weep is an interesting passage because we think about it automatically in terms of those who don't know Christ. But we also will weep at his coming. There will be those who will weep because they never acknowledged him as king. They never heard that gospel. They never understood the reign of Jesus Christ. And we will weep because we will know that the time is over and time to reach them. It's too late. There is no more time to tell them about who Jesus really is to win them through the gospel. You see, that is the king that we worship, that rules us, that we adore, and that we praise. The king who came to us in meekness and mild, who came to us with forgiveness and love, and changed our hearts by the power of that gospel. The king who will come again in glory so that the world may know too who he is, that he rules all things with power and might 
But in the time between that event coming, may we be the witnesses of that love and of that grace. May we meet the world that way. May we stand in the armor of God, knowing that we will be assaulted, knowing that there will be ridiculed, but may we stand firm in that grace and that love to the world. May we resist the temptation to want to conquer the world and to take notice of them and to fire at them with arrows and try to destroy them. Because none of us has been won that way, not by this king. This king wins by hearts and by lives. And I want to close with a video this morning. A video of a great preacher, and if I could preach one last sermon, I wish I could preach it like this man does, who talks about Jesus as king, our king, and what we know about him and what the scriptures revealed. And always remember that is known by grace and by love and by the gift of faith we have been given. Amen. is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. 
He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen.